We go into the field with students from K-State to get hands-on training and help pets who need it most, coming up on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Madison Brown. And I'm Dave Shapiro, and welcome to the busiest place on earth, or at least the busiest place on the corner of 59th and Troost, although the gas station across the street is pretty busy too. Anyway, we're the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services. Madison, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm dealing with some serious allergies today, but you know, I'm going. Okay. All right. Yeah. You, it, it, you, you, there was a delayed entrance from you today. Um, and it seems like that's just going around. Oh yeah. Um, I had to call the doc up today to get some meds. I'm feeling much better now. Hopefully I'm coming and sounding okay on mic. I sound good to me. So I think we're doing all right on that front. Well, uh, you know, we got a lot of show today, so why don't we just get to some pet news? First up, a wise man once wrote, yo, listen up, here's a story about a little guy that lives in a blue world and all day and all night, and everything he sees is just blue. I'm blue, daba dee, daba die. Based on TikToker, I am dot muddy's decision to only buy blue toys for her Doberman banks. You might think she was simply an Eiffel 65 fan, but that's not the case. At least we don't think so. Her new blue devotion comes from her use of a filter called dog vision, which gives users a glimpse of the world through a dog's eyes. See, the way we perceive the world is determined by photoreceptors in our eyes called rods and cones. Humans have more cones than rods, which are more sensitive to different wavelengths of light and allow us to see a larger spectrum of color than dogs who have rod-dominated eyes. Dogs have what's called dichromatic color vision, perceiving the world in shades of blue and yellow. In humans, the closest equivalent is what a human with red-green color blindness is able to see. So the TikToker's decision to buy only blue toys is because, quote, everyone deserves some color in their life, and a vibrant blue toy will be very easily spotted by a dog. You know, Dave, that's probably why a dog's favorite toy is a tennis ball. I mean, who wouldn't like a big yellow thing flying through the sky? Obviously, they're going to chase after that. Yeah, of course, for sure. You know, and it's it's interesting because there is a lot of discussion that came, um, you know, in, in response to this, I'm only buying blue toys. And, you know, there are some dogs that just go after whatever, and it doesn't even matter what color it is. Having a female dog, I do usually try to buy the pink toys. I'm not going to lie. I'm a sucker for pink. But now knowing that they can see blue way better i'm definitely gonna reach for the blue toys now yeah yep hey you know we're we're breaking down the gender binary here um well okay well what's up next i actually have a very interesting story for you dave Bobby, the world's oldest living dog celebrated his 31st birthday this may Bobby was born on May 11th, 1992, making him a Taurus, in a rural Portuguese village of Conqueros. His owner, Lionel, says his exceptional health and long life are from living in a calm, peaceful environment and his diet of only human food. Lionel goes on to say that Bobby has never been on a tie-out or a leash and has always been able to free roam as he pleases. Though in his old age, Bobby, Bobby usually prefers to stay on the family farm. 
Bobby's owners even had a birthday party to celebrate with more than 100 people in attendance from all over the world. Bobby was, of course, given a special treat of local fish and meats, and a dance troupe was even scheduled to perform. It sounds like Bobby has life all figured out and that we could all learn a little from Bobby. Live stress-free, enjoy good food, and surround yourself with the people who love you. Happy birthday, Bobby. Happy birthday, Bobby. And then, of course, there's the, you know, the um, legalese that comes after. Uh, don't just feed your dog only human food. Um, treats are okay uh, every once in a while. Uh, don't don't sue us. Yes, please don't start feeding your dog chicken legs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, and that's the thing is that it's, it's very interesting the way that, you know, we approach animal welfare here versus out in more rural areas, like if this is a farm, and this is a European country. And so there are just different ideas about what you do with dogs and how you treat dogs and what you feed them. And that's that's all well and good. I mean, look at this guy. He's doing great. Absolutely. Like, I want to have Bobby's life living on the farm all day, mm-hmm. soaking up all the love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I doubt I could get that many people to show up to my birthday party. So. For real. 100 <laughs> people from all over the world. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, you know, this week we're going to talk about our partnership with K-State. Um, we had Dr. Ron Orchard on not that long ago to talk about the program, but we thought it would be better just to kind of take you out into the field and show you what it's like for these students to go and experience what our team experiences every day. have been a big fan of your organization for a long time, back even when you were the spay-neuter Kansas City. This is Dr. Ron Orchard. He's a PhD student in leadership communications and shelter medicine fellow at K-State University. If his voice sounds familiar to you, a person who definitely listens intently to every episode, it's because we just had him on a few months ago to talk about our partnership with the shelter medicine program at K-State. Um, it wasn't until we started developing a new course underneath the shelter medicine umbrella that's called community outreach, and that's my main responsibility, that we were really able to justify and, and figure out a way logistically to get students to partner with the organization. Look at us now. We're, we're, we're starting to plan year two of what year two would even look like working with you. But what does it look like? It's one thing to talk about it and another to see it in action, to see how it benefits the students, our clients, our organization, and our community. So I went out with them one Friday to get a taste of it. We will be moving. There's that. Is there a more secure place for me to put this? Yes, you can put it in a kennel. Okay, great. We're on what I'm calling the beast. I don't know if that's actually what it's called, but I don't know what else you'd call it. It's K-State's huge white and purple RV outfitted with everything you'd want in a mobile vet clinic, a surgery suite, exam spaces, kennels, and lots and lots of supplies. Dr. Ron is with us, of course, as is Ramona, our stalwart community field coordinator who helps make sure everything's in order so that we can be as efficient as possible in the field and get to the people who need this help the most. On the way to the first stop, I sit in the seats and back with the three students who will be assessing patients in the field today. What's your name? I'm Nathan Hansen. Okay. What's your name? Elizabeth Scarborough. And what's your name? I'm Madeline Hall. Okay, great. Nathan has just finished his fourth year. He's already walked, so technically he's a doctor. 
Madeline is just finishing her third year, whereas Elizabeth is just finishing her first year. The division of labor is that Nathan and Madeline will be doing most of the actual exam work and problem solving, and Elizabeth will be acting as field tech. They tell me as best they can over the din of the vehicle about their other experiences in the field, specifically a recent stint with the Street Dog Coalition, an organization with outposts all over the U.S. that focuses on the pets of people experiencing houselessness. As ever with organizations doing this kind of outreach, the conversation centers on what resources they provided, not just for the pets, but for the people as well. Uh, yeah, they had this clothing, they had, um, uh, it was like, a, I can't remember the brands of it, but they had this like wireless service provider thing. Mm-hmm. And then of course there was us as well. Right. Yeah. Um, they had all sorts of resources. Mental health services. Our first stop is, to my mind, the best example we have all day of what the program is supposed to do. When we arrive on site, Dr. Orchard gives the students a rundown of what we're going to see. Um, So it sounds like we've got a a mom and a dad dog and a litter of puppies. Mom, there's a reported uh, history of shaking her head, so we're thinking some ear type of issues, so we'll take a look at that, maybe do a cleaning, and possibly uh, administer some ear medication. How old are the puppies? Are we vaccinating them? Uh, 11 weeks old, and so I guess right. once we start working with the client, there's, they, they may have already received some vaccinations. So. Omar and his family were referred to us through another organization because there was a language barrier. Except, as we discover when we get there, despite his English being a little rough, his comprehension is good, and we're mostly able to communicate just fine. There's a little bit of figuring out the right English words so that he knows what we mean and we understand what he means, but that's just part of doing the work we do. Where there's a will, there's a way. And anyway, we have Spanish speakers back at the clinic who will follow up with phone calls to make sure everybody understands everything, because there will be a lot to understand. Their house is a little off Independence Avenue in the Northeast, a nice little block with some cute houses and families just doing their best to get by. Across the street is a house with two dogs in the front yard. One of them, an Anatolian shepherd, barks almost continuously. Ramona steps off the vehicle to chat with Omar. Um, has mom had vaccines? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. No, I don't want that I have a vaccine. Also, she she's got ear vaccine. stuff. Okay, if you okay. want to grab mama first, and then puppies have not had vaccines? No. Okay, Ray's out there to kind of help you. This okay. is a- He's not by a vaccine too. Okay, is he friendly? First up is the mama dog, Era, a name that, according to my research, is actually a female name of Hebrew origin, meaning guardian. And like a good guardian, she's wary of us at first. But once we get her on the vehicle, she calms down some and we're able to get a look at her, which is good because she's got those ear problems. Meanwhile, we chat with Omar about what he wants overall for the pets in his care. If you please neutral castrate, I don't know what is the right word. Spay would be for uh, females. Yep. It's good for me, you know. Okay. I don't want a more generation and yeah, just yeah, problem. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Like a lot of folks, Omar and his family didn't really choose to have pets. Rather, the pets chose them. Mom and dad showing up one day with a litter already on the way. He's keeping the puppies for now until he can get them vaccinated and fixed. He says he's seen too many dogs roaming the streets because people aren't getting their pets fixed, which is likely how he ended up in this situation in the first place. Nathan tries to ascertain when their vet will be down this way to do the surgery, but Ramona lets him know that it's not necessary. In other words, 
We got this. Um, when is uh, hey, Doctor Ron? You know when um, Dressler's coming down here to do space neuters? Well, they'll be able to do it directly through the resource. Oh yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Yeah. I'll have Blanca, who he talked to, call him back and set up set up the spay. Okay. For all of them, spay or whatever. This is the really nice part. We have Spanish-speaking call center staff that can help make the appointments, and we have grant funding to help with this part of things. So if, if there's something we need, we can set it up with the health of the pets foremost in our minds without worrying about the financial limitations of the client. With the housekeeping out of the way, it's time to look at Era's ears and see what's going on. The students take a look and start working it out. But here's the other problem. Those hematomas and the swelling and everything is definitely keeping the ear canal closed. So how are you going to get a medication into the ear canal without causing too much pain? Madeline suggests that because the ear canal is swollen and painful, it might be better to wait and work on it when she's under for her spay, which is a great suggestion. But that's still in the works, and we don't know when it'll be. So they take their findings to Dr. Orchard to discuss the proper way to There's move forward. Ear infection on the inside, if you try to peel open that the ear canal, sense. you can see it, you know, not looking so nice. Okay. Um, problem, though, is that the ear canals are so swollen. Whether uh, topical medication. I don't, yeah, I think it'd be really difficult to get something inside the ear canal, at least with how much pain uh, there seems to be. So, what are our options for that? Um, well, be more specific with me. Options for the swelling, so for yeah, the... Like, yeah, like, um, for the swelling, I was thinking, well, I mean... So this one, I think, uh, is still probably a little bit fluid-filled. You could drain it. Um, this other one, I think, might be fibrosed. So I don't, I don't know. It just feels firmer to me. Sure. So I don't know if that's going to be an option for that one. Um, I do think there's probably still some inflammation stuff going on around it, so I would... I would suggest a steroid, get the inflammation down, and it could also help be therapeutic for the pain. Yeah, I'm with you. That's kind of like my normal ear treatment algorithm, yeah, right? Yeah. If uh, if I can get topicals in there, beautiful. If not, a systemic yeah. steroid. Um, um, but if the systemic steroid then brings down the pain and the inflammation enough, then maybe you could start doing a topical. That's, that's exactly my topic. One of the most important parts of this whole process is getting the students to trust their instincts and to find practical applications of the knowledge they've accrued in their time at school. Dr. Orchard never gives them the answer, but pushes them to find the next logical line of thought to help them really find their ability to go into diagnosis mode. In any case, Ramona hears back from the clinic that we can get Era in for surgery next week, so they focus on pain relief until she comes to see us in-house. Dad's up next, a medium-sized brown dog named Thor with a tail like Happy Thunder. And then the puppies, 11-week-year-old sweeties named Toy and Waldo. Dr. Orchard goes over what he considers the basics of an initial puppy consult in this kind of field scenario. Six hernias, and then the last thing I want to I want to do is do it a cardiac auscultation. Okay. What am I listening for? A PDA. Yeah, a PDA specifically. Oh. So I'm so at th- at this age, I'm not so concerned about grading like more subtle murmurs. I, the ones I want to find are the big bad obvious ones, which like we can stuff. yeah we can all find a PDA which is like a grade two or three can sometimes not be as clear. And I'm not as worried about it for puppies, but what would be my main differential for like a grade three, like heartworm? But while looking over the puppies, we get some bad news. Thor's heartworm test has come back positive. It's not a great scenario. This is a family who took in a couple of dogs out of kindness and now have one dog with a chronic ear infection and another with heartworm. And of course the puppies. 
But this is what we're here for. And Ramona goes over the information as best she can until someone can contact him to have a full conversation in Spanish so that all the details are well understood. Because heartworm is nothing to mess around with. Thor will need treatments and kennel rest, and that's not even touching on whatever lasting damage the worms may have done to his lungs and heart. It's a good thing we have the girl on prevention because a mosquito can bite him, go to her, and she could have gotten them. Same with puppies. So uh, I'm going to have Blanca call you, go over all of this so you understand, and then she'll get with our doctor, uh, veterinarian, who is our micro or our, uh, heartworm expert. Her name is Dr. Mackey, and we are going to get a plan together to get him on um, probably what we call a slow kill method. But we would come back out, I would come out with a vet tech and give him an injection. But once we do that, we need to keep him inside to keep him quiet because he is so active. And thus ends our first appointment of the day with the delivering of bad news and a promise to follow up and follow through. This is kind of the name of the game anyway. None of this is a one and done kind of deal because what would be the point? While obviously Thor and Era will be getting extra follow-up because they have their own roads ahead of them, when I talked to our outreach and resource supervisor, Ray Lindsay, she told me what the follow-up procedure is for all the clients we see on these days. So we go out with K-State for outreach twice a month, and then we go back out without K-State once after within that month to check into everything is going well with that pet. We go out as an outreach team up by ourselves. And then if that pet is in need of follow-up long-term or chronic condition that may not be fixed within one month's worth of medication, we put that same pet on for the following month to go right back out with K-State. So K-State is following up once a month for those that need it, and we're following up twice. Back on the RV, the day goes on. Lots of other clients. Our good friend Jaws, who Elizabeth takes a great shine to, and how could you not? He's a big, lovable goofball. An older dog who nervous farts us into near oblivion. More ear problems. Lots of vaccinations. Somewhere in the middle, we take a break for lunch, and Ramona and I field questions about who we are as an organization. What we do. Because this partnership is about giving them experience, yes, but also about exposing them to different kinds of medicine, different approaches to care, and different ways of understanding not the idealized medicine of classroom theory, but the reality of what it takes to keep pets in loving homes when the client's situation isn't ideal, and the great hurdles pet owners face on a daily basis as they try to navigate the intricate puzzles of their lives. This day is part of the shelter medicine program, but not all of them are planning on shelter work. Whatever they learn here, they take it with them to their part of the animal welfare world. So we're looking at the interactions between the clients and the students um, and really how do we get um, at, at a point that is good for both parties. It's really trying to figure out how we elevate veterinary care because so long it's been we have an expert in the room as a veterinary doctor and I will tell you what you should do. And now we're really trying to flip that script into being more that the client is here and this is really a, a team effort and we want to help the client accomplish their goals for their relationship with their animal. So it's, so it's really a different, uh, a different task for us and how we communicate with the client.
this is just one part of our partnership with K-State, and the story would have been an hour long if I'd included all the insights and situations we encountered, but we put a photo essay up on our website so you can get a fuller picture. Just go to prckc.org slash blog or click in the show notes. This month is Adopt a Cat Month. Kitten season has run rampant, as it does every year, meaning an influx of moms and babies into shelters. This means that this is not only the most helpful time to add another feline to your furry family, but you're also likely to see a lot of specials to clear out space in shelters to make room. But adoption isn't the only option. Um, It is an option because it's uh, in the word adoption adoption, but it's not the only option. Anyway, fostering helps relieve a little bit of the pressure on an already overcrowded shelter, and giving some of the cats who don't do well in a shelter setting a place to stretch out and relax makes them more able to show their best selves and have a better chance of finding a forever home. The great thing about shelter cats is that they will be already fixed and vaccinated when you get them. That cuts down on the upfront cost to you, consumer. Not only that, but shelter cats are often street cats, which means they will tend to be less genetically predisposed to disease simply because of natural selection. You like tabbies, black cats, tuxedo cats? Guess what? You can find them all at your local shelter. Whatever you're looking for, you're likely to find it. And shelter cats have already developed personalities and quirks that show what kind of home they're suited for. So there's less chance of a mismatch. But the best reason to adopt a cat, they're great. Am I biased? Absolutely. Should you still adopt a cat? Absolutely. say goodbye to you friends big thanks to dr orchard and the students from the k-state vet med program for letting us tag along and see what this was all about as for us we're a nonprofit dedicated to keeping pets and people together and you can help just go to prckc.org and you can donate volunteer shop our online store and more if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app please rate us and leave us a review that always helps people find us for all the latest info follow us on facebook and twitter we're at PRR podcast on both platforms. So tail wags and burrs to you and yours. And as Ursula K. Le Guin wrote, dogs don't know what they look like. Dogs don't even know what size they are. No doubt it's our fault for breeding them into such weird shapes and sizes. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, hosted by Madison Brown and Dave Shapiro, produced, written, recorded, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Musical Industries. <laughs>